Okay, well, let's pray. Ask God to meet us as we dig into the Word. I'm loving Hebrews. What an amazing book. I, I hope you're feeling some of what I'm feeling as we see these amazing truths that God's given to us. So this passage is one that's, I've never preached this passage, but uh, I've known it for years, and many of you have as well. So let's pray, because familiar passages sometimes we can cannot, not, not get the full breadth of them. So Lord, we, we do pray right now. Familiar passage, powerful, powerful passage, challenging, deeply encouraging, life-giving. I pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word right now and work supernatural change in each of our hearts, in my heart, in each of our hearts, Lord. Teach us, show us, reveal yourself to us. Give us exactly the truth, the encouragement, the challenge that we need today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. So uh, when you first put your trust in Jesus Christ, very, very beginning, remember back then, maybe it's just been recent, powerful things happen. I mean, one thing is that this weight of guilt before you and God is lifted off of you freedom from that guilt and uh, the the love of God, the favor of God, the forgiveness of God comes and just rests upon you and your your heart has changed so that you know Jesus Christ, you love Jesus Christ, you delight in him, your pleasure is in him as Ian was sharing earlier. Big, huge change takes place in our hearts. So we're, we're, we're praying, we're reading the scriptures, we're fighting against sin, we're loving our brothers and sisters, it's like we're off and running on this race. We're moving ahead, there's the finish line, there's heaven, let's go. We're running passionately, running energetically, running with just abandon. Let's go, here we go, onward. That's how it starts. Sadly though, as time goes on, that can change. And over time we can get tangled up in sin. And that can start to slow us down. We can pick up extra weights that tire us out. And so while we were running energetically and passionately, and there's the finish line, let's go, we find that we're, we're slowing down to like a, a trot or even a, a walk or a standstill or even like a, a, an aimless meandering around. Now, When we are in that place of this slowing down to a trot or even a walk or a stop or an aimless meandering, if we get into that place, as believers in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will be stirring us saying, something's wrong! This isn't how it's supposed to be! Remember those days when you were running? Remember what that was like? This isn't right! This needs to change! And so you feel in your heart, something needs to change! Something has to happen, but the question is, what do you do? What steps do you take? How do you proceed to see that change happen? And the answer to those questions are found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So let's turn there. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one that you can look on. So raise your hand so we can bring one to you. We are passionate about studying God's word here. This is God's very words. The creator of the universe has given us a book with his words, written through human authors, but his words, perfectly true in everything that it 
asserts. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is powerful. Now, in the Bibles we're passing out, it's on page 1008. Just so you know, 1008 in the Bibles we're passing out, that's Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, let me just put this a little bit in the context of where where the author's been bringing us. In chapter 11, he's given us a long list of men and women in the Old Testament time period. This is before Jesus' coming. So men and women in the Old Testament time period... Men and women who lived by faith in God and his mercy and his promises. Men and women, Old Testament, Noah, Rahab, Sarah, Abraham, Moses. Men and women who lived by faith. Long list in Hebrews chapter 11. And here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, he tells us why he gave us that long list. What's the point of that list? And look at what he says, verses 1 and 2. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, that's all the men and women who live by faith in chapter 11, described there. That's, they are the cloud of witnesses. So, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, now to unpack these verses. Let's start with this question. Because in these verses, the author gives us a metaphor, a, a description of what the Christian life is like. So, what is the Christian life? And notice the end of verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. So, the Christian life is a race. All right? So, let's just kind of think about that metaphor. Before God saved us, you weren't running this race. Before God saved you, you were running a different race. You were running towards achievements. You were running towards comfort. You were running towards entertainment. You were on a different race, and the finish line of that race was eternal destruction. That's the race that you were on. Back turned towards God. I don't care about God. I'm running this race, thank you. And then in great love and mercy, God loves you. God has mercy upon you. He sent someone maybe jog alongside you for a little while, and they told you about Jesus Christ. That God came into the world to show us who he is, his heart, his love, his mercy, his power, his wisdom, his goodness, and that Jesus died on the cross so that our sins could all be forgiven, past, present, and future. He rose from the dead to show that it's all true, and so God sent someone across your path who told you about Jesus Christ, You saw the truth of who he was, you repented, you put your trust in Jesus, and God moved you from that racetrack to this racetrack. A new race you're on now. This is a a new race whose finish line is heaven. Okay, so you're, you're running this new race. And this race means nurturing love for Jesus Christ, nurturing trust in him through prayer. You're praying. You're in the word of God. You're battling against sin. You're loving your spouse, you're loving your kids, you're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're part of a, of a Christ-centered community of believers. And because of the, the amazing joy that Jesus is and promises to be to you, you live your life with risky 
sacrificial love to, to alleviate suffering wherever you find it, especially eternal suffering. And so you give your life to making disciples who make disciples. So you're, you're running this race. You're running this race, moving towards heaven. Now, notice that he says that we run this race with endurance, end of verse 1. So it's not a sprint, right? It's a marathon, okay? This is a race that you're running for years and for decades, this race that we're on. And like I said, the finish line is heaven itself. The author of Hebrews talks about the city made by God. He, he calls it our homeland. We're running home. There's home. Home awaits where we will see God and know God in Jesus Christ and fellowship with God the Father and Jesus his Son. And there is no higher joy in the universe than the thought of knowing God the Father and Jesus his Son forever in heaven. So, so that's the race that we're on. That's the picture of the Christian life that the author wants to give us. But now he also says in these two verses that there's problems we come up against as we're running this race. Problems that we face. So what problems do we face in the race? Verse 1, read it again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Two problems he mentions. Extra weight and sin that clings. Extra weight and and clinging sin. Two problems. Now, let's start with the second one and then we'll come back to the first one. Let's start with the problem of clinging sin. Sin which clings so closely, he calls it. Now that word clings, it's a Greek word that has the idea that something clings onto you and then it entangles you. It encumbers you. It, it hinders you. It gets in the way. This is what sin does. Sin entangles, encumbers, and hinders you. Okay, so let's say, here's the picture. Let's say you're, you're running along on this race, Okay, following Jesus, but then maybe somebody says something hurtful to you, and you get bitter about it. And instead of you know bringing it before the Lord, saying, "Forgive me for bitterness, cleanse me, I trust you, I'm going to forgive them." Instead of doing that, you let the bitterness remain. You let it kind of fester. You know how you know bitterness can feel good if somebody's hurt you, right? You kind of nurture that grudge. You you hold on to that grudge. Now you could think that you can be bitter at someone and just kind of let that stay there, and and you can just keep running along fine. You could think that's what happens. It's not what happens. Okay, what's just happened is you've been running along the race and you've gotten bitter. You let that bitterness remain, and all of a sudden you're just like all tangled up in sin. Okay, and so all of a sudden it's like, oh man, I don't know. Something's gotten wrong here. I, I'm just not very spiritual, I guess. I mean, this is really hard. I mean, what's the Christian life's hard, and and you, you find that you're not enjoying God's word as much. You find that you're not like, prayers becoming a duty, and you're thinking, boy, God demands a lot from us running. This is this is hard to run. Well, hello, what's the problem? That's the first problem. Okay, Let's see if I can get entangled. All right, I did. Okay, good. Now, second problem. Verse 1, he says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So there's the problem of clinging sin. That's one problem. 
But there's another problem, and that's extra weight. Did you catch that? He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So extra weight is a different problem than sin. And what this means is, there are things that are not necessarily sinful, but that we can pick up as we're running the race. And they are weights on us. They become weights and they keep us from running the race as God calls us to run. So let's say you're running along, okay, and, and, and you know, running, you're praying in the Word, living the Christian life, and all of a sudden you just take on this innocent hobby. This is it's an innocent, it's not a sinful hobby, okay? And what an interesting thing. Maybe it's like basket weaving, you know, or bird watching or something. But all of a sudden, like, more of your time is going into that, and it's like, oh, man, I, I don't know, man, it's just spiritually I'm feeling tired. Or, or maybe you, you start watching some innocent TV show, which just maybe has some not bad humor, but just humor that kind of shrinks your soul, just shallow stuff. And, and it's like, wow, man, I'm just... Or maybe you start a computer game, you know, and... And it's like, if I could just get to the next level, I'll start reading the Bible again. I really will. And I'm at level 58 right now. It's going to be awesome. And so, but it's like, well, all of a sudden, boy, the Christian life, I'm just tired. And I don't have as much interest in being part of my home group anymore and making disciples who make disciples, you know. Boy, God demands a lot of us. It's just so hard living this Christian life. How can anybody run? This is really difficult. What's the problem? Okay, extra weight we've taken on. Now, here's the deal. Clinging sin, extra weight, two problems we face in the race. So what can we do about these problems? Read verse 1 again. What can I do about these problems? Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, they did this, let us also, Lay aside every weight. Lay aside sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So what should we do with extra weight and clinging sin? Lay it aside. Now this is really important for us to hear. We know, and we teach this a lot here at Mercy Hill because it's biblical, that when Jesus saves you, he doesn't remove all sin from you. He removes all your guilt from you. He breaks the power of sin, but you still have remaining sin in you. And you will until when? Heaven. Okay, so this side of heaven, we will never be free from what is called indwelling sin. Really important truth to understand. This side of heaven, you will never be sinless. You will be in heaven. But not this side of heaven, you're not yet. Okay, so keep trusting the Lord, keep being forgiven, keep fighting the fight of faith, but understand that we still have indwelling sin. That's a crucial biblical truth for us to understand. But, some of us can emphasize that truth so much that we think that when we sin, or when we get into sin, that there's nothing we can do about it. Right? Well, it's just indwelling sin, nothing I can do about it. And we might come up with various excuses like saying, well, you know, this is, this is just a weakness that I've got, so I can't do anything about it. Or this is just part of my family upbringing. That's why I have this area of sin, nothing I can do about it. Or this is just part of a, of a weakness I have in my personality, so there's nothing that I can do about it. So what the author says. He says there's something you can do about it. Lay 
it aside. You can lay it aside. Which means you can lay it aside. See, when God gives us commands in the word, he doesn't just like put the bar way up there and just say, okay, that's what I want you to do. See what you can do. It's not what he does. Every command has an implied promise. I will enable you to do that. I will enable you to do that. So when he tells us to lay it aside, it's because he, by his grace, will enable us to lay it aside. Not you with your willpower and gritting your teeth, but that God, by his grace, will enable us to lay these things aside. So if we say, you know, well, this is, this is just an area of sin. It's just, it's just a weakness for me. He would say, I understand that. Lay it aside. Or if we say, well, but this is because of how I was raised. It's a very difficult family. He says, I understand that. I was weeping over you as you were being raised. Lay it aside. Well, but I've, I've got this personality weakness. It's difficult. He goes, I understand, and it is difficult. Lay it aside. Wonderful news here for believers who have felt like I'm never going to be able to deal with this area of sin. Now, will we have indwelling sin until heaven? Quiz time. Okay? Can we lay aside any sin that we come up against by God's grace? Okay, you're not quite as convinced about that one. Let's try this little quiz again. Will we have indwelling sin until heaven? Yes. Can we, by God's grace, lay aside any sin that comes our way? Yes! He tells us to here. So, here's what this means. Let's get the whole picture. Um, okay, you're running. You're running the race. And, uh, and somebody says something hurtful to you. Okay? And you let that bitterness fester. Okay, see, this works again. All right, so now I'm all tangled up, and it's like, man, I just can't run as freely anymore in the Christian life. It's really hard, you know, for me. And, uh, and you say, but, but, you know, bitterness is just something that's just, I guess it's just a weakness of mine. I guess it's just something that I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with, something I can do about it. I'm just going to be running this way the rest of my life. And, and, and God would look at you through Jesus Christ and say, lay it aside. Lay it aside? Lay it aside. You mean like me, by your grace, just laying it aside? Me, or you, by your grace, laying it aside. Okay. Boy, that's, I mean, like, wow. <laughs> Freedom! See how that works? Lay it aside. Or, you know, you've, you've been running the race, and this innocent hobby that starts to take up too much time, and the, the TV show, whatever, the computer games, and it's like you're tired. And he would say, lay it aside. Lay it aside? Lay it aside. By my grace, lay it aside. And so you lay it aside, and then you start trying to run, and the energy's back. So this is amazing news in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, now, ask yourself this question. If you were going to structure your life so that you could run the race with the fewest distractions and the greatest energy, I'm not talking about quitting your job, okay? 
you got to do what God's calling you to do. You've got certain responsibilities he's called you to fulfill. So with those responsibilities in mind, if you were going to structure your life so that you had the fewest distractions and the greatest energy to run the race, what would you do? So I'm praying that right now the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you and you'll be thinking of, well, there's that. And, and maybe there's that. Here's an extra weight I've taken on. Here's an area of clinging sin that I've allowed to remain. That the Holy Spirit right now is, is pointing out areas. In fact, I just want to take some time right now and, and I just want us to pray. Let's ask him to come and do this right now. So I pray, Lord, that you'd come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit and that as we ask you with humble, submissive hearts, that you would show us, show me, show each of us anything we we're not seeing, any extra weight that we need to lay aside, any clinging sin that we need to lay aside. So right now, show us. So just ask him, just in this time of silence, now just ask him and see what he says. Go ahead. do that a lot more on your own some other time, but I wanted to do that right now. So I, I hope that, that you have an idea now of something like there's a, there's a weight, that there's some clinging sin. Here's something that, that I could deal with. But now, before we move on, let's just, is this raising any questions? Let's see if there's any questions this has raised up before we move into the next section here. So how can you tell when an innocent hobby is becoming a weight... Okay, and then if you do identify it as a weight, how do you cut it back? What do you do about it? Okay, that's a great question. Let me throw out some thoughts and let's see what some of the others of you would, how you'd answer that. Um, the way that I can tell, and I, th- I think the way we can tell, is that is that it's it's um, when you're involved in it, the outcome of that is a lessening of your passion for Jesus Christ and your affection for Him. That's one way that I can tell. Um, are there some other other ways you can think of? Just shoot them out. What are, how could you tell if like an innocent hobby is extra has become extra weight? What are some ways you could tell? Time involvement. Time involvement. Okay, so it's keeping you from. Uh, you know, we need we need R and R. We need Sabbath time, right? We need break time. I love to go surfing on Mondays. Okay, well, here's an illustration. I mean, for me, I was thinking about this yesterday. I've discovered that uh, reading certain kinds of suspense novels, innocent, innocent recreation, for me, I get so caught up in the plot that um, the too much of my, I've, I've concluded too much of my affections and my passions are stirred up in that direction. So I've, I've stopped that. Again, this, is, this may not be something you've got to do. This is just this is extra weight for me. But surfing is not that for me. Okay, so because when I go surfing on Mondays, I come back and and I'm just I'm seeing the pelicans flying and the and the, the ocean and the sunshine, and it's just fun. And I'm, just, I'm out there talking to the Lord and encouraging other people. Go, awesome wave, dude! You know, and 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 I just, I just come back full of the Lord. Now I, I could become. I mean, if any of you start to think it's becoming an excess weight, let me know. Okay, 
But at this point, it's not. Now, if, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, this could sound really, this could sound uh, legalistic. Uh, this could sound you, um, uh, you know, yuck. Okay. And so let me let me put it in context for you. Here's here's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. This for the first time. You taste the, the the joy you were created to have, and that is knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, then you don't have a grid for that. And okay, we, we get that, but I just want to explain how this works. And so it's like you've tasted the highest joy, really, not just like okay, this is supposed to be, so I'm saying it is, but no, really, it is. Knowing Jesus Christ satisfies you so fully that you don't need anything else. Now, we're, we're not always there. I'm fighting for that. We're, you know, we're stumbling and sinning. But that, that's the truth, knowing Jesus Christ in that way. And so what we're talking about here is things that take away from our greatest joy. Okay? Things that detract from our greatest joy. I mean, just back to surfing, okay? Like, if, if, if surfing was my greatest joy, and, and, and if I could, like, have had a chance to move closer to Santa Cruz, okay, I would do that if a job came up and I said, like, I'm gonna, I've got to move to Bakersfield or someplace. Well, I'm not going to do that. Well, you're so legalistic. You're so uptight. You know, are you kidding me? I love to surf. Why would I move to someplace where I can't surf? You're all looking at me kind of blank. Um, probably because the surfing example, right? You're all thinking, uh, what's the big deal about that? Jerry, help us out here. How about a surf on Sunday morning? Boy. Yeah. Steve, Steve says, hope you have a good time. He, <laughs> he had something come up. <laughs> okay. But, but you see how this works. In other words, you know, C.S. Lewis says, our problem is not that we focus on our own joy too much. Biblically, our problem is that we settle for too little. Jesus Christ is our all-satisfying treasure, really. Knowing him is everything. Everything. And when you taste that, then you want to weed things out that detract from that. You want to fill your life with things that will enhance that. And so it's all for the sake of your joy. Pursue joy more is what we're saying. When you get tangled up with sin, it's going to take away from your ultimate joy. When you start carrying extra weight, it's going to take away from your ultimate joy of knowing Jesus Christ. So lay those joy suckers out. right? Lay, lay them aside. Get rid of them so that you can pursue more joy. I hope that helps. Let's move on now. Okay, so now with, with that context of how can you tell and what would you do, and we haven't answered all those questions, but we've, we've given you a framework, how do I go about laying them aside? What would I do? Okay. And there's three answers he gives us in these verses. And the first answer is, here's what you do. Hear what the cloud of witnesses is saying. Okay, look at verse one again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, because we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, because there's this cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that gives us reason to lay aside extra weight and clinging sin. Okay? Now, who are these cloud of witnesses? I already mentioned they are the men and women listed in chapter 11, who lived by faith. We're talking about Noah, talking about Abel. We're talking about Rahab and Sarah and Moses. So we are surrounded by this this cloud of 
witnesses. And what are the what are they doing? What is this cloud of witnesses doing? Now I've heard it taught that what this cloud of witnesses is doing is they're all around and they're like they're like watching us saying, Go for it. Okay? They're like they're like watching us and because we're we're being watched, therefore we should lay aside sin. I don't think the main point is that these witnesses are watching us. The reason for that is that this word witness in Hebrews usually refers not to what somebody sees, but it refers to what somebody says. It's what they say to us. They're, they're, they're bearing witness to us by their words of something. In fact, you can see this back in chapter 11, verse 4. It talks about Abel. Through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Abel is saying something to us, even though he's died. He's one of the cloud of witnesses. And so it's not what they see. It's not that they're all there watching us, so I've got to lay it aside because Moses is watching me. Okay, It's because of what Moses would say, and what Rahab would say, and what Sarah would say. So what would Sarah and Moses and Noah and Abel and Abraham say to us? What the cloud of witness would say to us is, Listen, New Testament believers! God is real. He's real and he is faithful to his promises. And the reward of his presence in Christ is worth everything. Everything. So lay aside the extra weight. Lay aside the clinging sin and run. That's what they're all saying. It's a cloud of witnesses. God's real. He's faithful. The joy of knowing God in Jesus, it's worth everything. Everything. You have no idea. Lay aside the extra weight. Lay aside the clinging sin. Run the race. So that's, that's the first reason. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and every single one of them would say the exact same thing with no hesitation. Lay it aside. Run. Lay it aside. Run. He's worth it all. Can you hear them? They're there. They're bearing witness to us of that truth. Second truth. Look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of faith. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Crucial next step. Looking to Jesus. And the one particular truth about Jesus, he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. That is massive. Huge truth there. Here's why. You might be thinking, you know, all those men and women in Hebrews 11, they lived by faith. They had strong faith. Look at my puny faith. Look at my wimpy faith. I've got weak faith. This isn't going to work for me. My faith is too weak to lay these things aside. My faith is too weak to really run this race with endurance. But here's the question. Who is the founder of your faith? Jesus Christ is. Because he gave you faith to begin with. Your faith is not something that you conjured up inside yourself, like you came up with it. He gave it to you. He's the founder of your faith. So he can give you stronger faith now is the point. You didn't come up with faith on your own. You never would have. He gave it to you as a gracious gift purchased through the cross. 
He gave you faith. So here you are, weak with faith. You're thinking, I'm sunk. I got weak faith. And Jesus is there with a whole basket load full of faith, ready to give it to you. Ask, and it shall be given to you. You have not because you ask not. And so some of you need to hear this because you're keenly aware of your spiritual weakness. Your faith is weak. Your faith is wimpy. Your, your faith is small. And Jesus is ready to found your faith, to give you fresh faith. And that's the point of the f- fact that he's the perfecter of your faith. Who is the perfecter of your faith? Jesus is. Which means when your faith is imperfect, what do you do? Who do you go to? Jesus! Isn't this amazing? How many of you have imperfect faith? Come on now. Get them up. Okay, here we are. And Jesus, what is he? He's not like, this faith is imperfect. You guys are just, you just go find somebody else to work with here. That's not what he does. He's the perfecter of our faith. So if you have imperfect faith, he's like, perfect. I got this one, right? This is what he does. Now, don't just let that be words. This is real. Many of you have experienced this, but maybe some of you haven't, or maybe you've been so weighed down and tangled up that you've spent a long time since you've experienced this. If you will come to the Lord Jesus Christ in your weak faith, with your weak faith, remember, he's the perfecter of faith, so you can come to him with your imperfect faith, right? So you come to him with your imperfect faith and you say, help me, I am so weak right now, I hardly even know if you're listening. I believe, help my unbelief, I believe enough to at least come and say, help me. And when you ask him, and then if you'll use the, the, the weapon he's given us, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's the, the means he uses to perfect our faith is the word. So as you pray, and then as you pray over God's word, as you do that, I guarantee you, you will, in time, feel your faith rise, grow. It's like, I see Jesus. You are true. You are right. Look at the cross. Look at the resurrection. You're seated at the Father's right hand. There's the finish line of heaven. Let's lay it aside and go. So don't let imperfect, weak faith make you think, well, that would be nice, except I don't have the faith I need. You don't have the faith you need. He's the founder of your faith. He's the perfecter of your faith. He will give you the faith you need. And then you will bow before his throne and you'll thank him for that also. Even my faith was a gift from you purchased through the cross. That's the second reason. Third reason. Look to Jesus who endured the cross for the sake of joy. You might be wondering, uh, is it really worth it to lay aside extra weight? I kind of like that extra weight. I like that whatever it is. That's why I'm doing it, because I like it. It gives me joy, right? No one takes on extra weight for some other reason. I like that clinging sin. That's why we let it cling, right? I like, I like that clinging sin. So is it really worth it? Why would I want to lay those things aside? I'm getting joy from them. And to answer that, the author points us to Jesus, and he asks this question. Why did Jesus endure the cross? What enabled him? I mean, think about the cross. Think about what he suffered on the cross. What enabled him to endure the cross? What was he thinking about as he was enduring the cross? What enabled him to despise the shame? 
the utter shame, public humiliation. There you are in absolute agony publicly, and people are walking by, throwing things at you and scoffing at you. It's just utter shame. What enabled him to endure the cross? What enabled him to despise the shame? Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, one thing we focus on is that he's the fountain perfecter of our faith, but there's something else crucial. We focus on the fact that who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross for joy. He despised the shame for the sake of joy. What enabled him to endure the pain and the agony and the humiliation of the cross was joy's coming. Joy is coming. Joy is coming. What joy? Knowing that I've pleased the Father. Knowing that I've glorified the Father. Knowing that I've saved men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Knowing that I'm going to be seated at the Father's right hand. Joy is coming makes this worth it. So much joy is coming that this is completely worth it. And so he endured the cross and he despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. This is what God wants us to do as well. God wants you to lay aside weight for the sake of the joy that he has set before you. God wants you to lay aside the clinging sin because what he offers you is a greater joy than that clinging sin. God wants you to obey for the sake of your joy because your joy that he, the joy that he offers is himself. God in Christ. He is the joy that he offers you. So here's how this works. When you, or put it this way, the more... You lay aside extra weight. The more you lay aside clinging sin, and the more you run the race, the more joy you will have now and forever. Say it again. The more you lay aside extra weight right now, listen, some of you have got extra weight, you know exactly what it is. Listen. The more you lay aside the extra weight, the more joy you will have now and forever in God through Christ. I promise you. Some of you have clinging sin. You know it's clinging, it's entangling you. The more you lay aside that clinging sin so that you can run the race, the more joy you will have in God through Jesus Christ forever. Joy awaits now and forever for the joy set before him. So here's, here's, here's the bottom line. Lay aside the extra weight. Lay aside the clinging sin. And let's run the race. Come on, Mercy Hill. Lay it aside. Let's run. Okay, let's stand up. Let's pray this over us now. Oh God, every one of us, me, we've all got weight, sin, stuff we've got to deal with here. Thank you for the cloud of witnesses. Not one of them would say anything else, but it's all worth it. God's real. Jesus is glorious. Lay it aside and run. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you are the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We can come to you with weak faith, and you help us every time, every time. Thank you. And thank you, Jesus, for your example that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross and despised the shame. And we know that you have laid joy before us, the joy of knowing you now and forever. So, Lord, help us lay aside extra weight. Help us lay aside clinging sin and help us to run for the glory of your name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. You are so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.